conflict happens often because we're not really listening, I would say. We're reloading as the other person is talking. That's really all that's happening. You're reaching back, you're loading your your weapon, you're loading your mind with other justifications for why you are doing what you're doing. In the book of Philippians, I want you to take your Bible and turn there because uh, I think this is, when we think about the book as a whole, uh, it really becomes a treaty in some sense for an occasion in the Bible where unity is dealt with and, and conflict resolution is spoken about. Now, I know uh, when we think about the, the importance of this topic, we think, well, why do we, why do we need to address something like conflict resolution, whether it's interpersonal relationships, the home, or the church? We think because not only are we self-orientated, but do you, do you like it? I mean, I, I don't know, if, of, of all the years that I've been pastoring, I've said this to, to anyone, Raise your hand if you like conflict. I've never had anybody raise their hand yet. And yet we all do it. And yet we all have our own agenda. We say things like to our children, why are you fighting with them again? Why are you? I think sometimes I had one or two children that were like professional conflict makers. Like I think their sole purpose in the job and the family was to create and instigate conflict. Uh, And you think to yourself, I know, Oh, the families are like, oh, I know who that is in our home. Uh, you can identify them. You have them. In, in fact, you have the opposite. Do you realize that there are people who kind of tend to thrive on conflict? They, they think they thrive on conflict. They, they in, a, in, a, in a community setting, even in a church, there are some people who are known by, oh, yeah, we know so-and-so. Every time something happens... <laughs> They fly off the handle. Like people become known by being conflicting with other people. But we don't like it. It happens on a regular basis. Remember, based on what we learned last night, build off this mentality of the heart. Conflict isn't just a situation. Conflict is a heart revealer. It reveals what's in there so you can try to figure out what what is going on in that person or that child or that husband or that wife or that church or that circumstance. Conflict is an opportunity to see a window into your own heart. And that's the challenge, is you can't just say, oh, remember, that wasn't me. I was this. That wasn't me. This occurred. Every time you and I open our mouth, we are giving people in our sphere, a window into what's really happening in there. The challenge is, is we don't like to turn, we don't like it when all of a sudden someone catches us at that moment when we say something we know we shouldn't say. And so we try to cover it up. And, but in fact, I would argue that from a biblical vantage point of Proverbs 4.23, the guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. I will say this, the unguarded you and the unguarded me is more of the real me than I usually like to let out. I just don't like it when people see the real me. So I get really used to guarding that component so that no one can really identify who I really am. And then when it comes out, it's like, oh, well, that's, no, that's you. That's your heart. 
And then we're supposed to be responsible to say, what am I going to do with that? Now, how would you like, for example, of all of, uh, if, if, if you were an individual, to be from an inspired standpoint, to be the inspired illustration of conflict in the Bible. That's what you have in Philippians chapter 4 with Yodi and Syntyche. Like, if you could pick yourself a, a passage, you wouldn't say, hey, who wants to be Yodi? Who wants to be Syntyche? Like, they're going to be known for all of eternity. When we meet them in heaven, we'll be like, I know you. I've heard about you. Okay? Uh, because the reality is we have an inspired illustration. Notice in Philippians 4. He says, I entreat you, Yodia, and I entreat you, Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are found in the book of life. Notice the book of Philippians as a whole for a moment. Back up, and you can see it in Philippians 1. I have it here before you. Notice this is the goal. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving together side by side for for the sake of the gospel. Obviously, Philippians is written to a local church community, but in that local church community, you have families, you have people, you have conflict because you have sinners. And when sinners get together, uh, they tend to generate a level of conflict. I tell when I'm doing the starting point class at our church all the time, I get to the point on church membership and church community life, and I will say to everybody who's in the room, listen, be prepared to be sinned against. You are not coming into a community that is perfected. You might be sinned against. You might be the one sinning against. But more importantly, what are we committing to do to help each other if conflict occurs? So many times we look at conflict and we say, well, how can I alleviate that so that I can maintain a a level of, of peace in my own home, in my own mind, in my own church, in my own relationships? And the goal becomes peace at all cost. And we're not even dealing with our own heart at that point. Even people will go to such a degree as to say, they're, they're apologizing for things that they didn't even do just to be able to save face. Well, let's just get back to peace. I can just leave it alone. Well, we'll leave that. We'll touch on that in the morning time of the teaching when we talk about forgiveness. But the reality is, is Philippians and Yodi and Syntyche, the church was written to because Paul gets word while he's sitting in prison that all of a sudden there was disunity and conflict within the church. And it was, it was disrupting the community and disrupting families. I, I tend to like to picture to some degree, you know, Epaphroditus coming back to the church. And, you know, uh, of course, this was a total oral culture. So you're like, hey, we got a letter from Paul. Everybody's like, oh, yeah. I mean, we've heard of this guy. Sit down. All of a sudden, they come to chapter 4. And all of a sudden, it says, I entreat you, Yodia. I mean, like, could you imagine? You're like, she was like, oh, I'm not, she's not waving her hand saying, I'm here this morning. You know, I mean, I almost even wonder at some particular point, uh, and of course this is a level of conjecture, but the reality was it was disrupting the church to a degree that Paul saw fit to write a letter with them and their names in mind to say something was going on. 
there was probably certain people who was like, you know, Yodi was over here kind of chirping to this person. Can you believe Syntyche's thinking this and blah, blah, blah. And then Syntyche's over here chirping to somebody else and they're thinking this. And probably pretty soon you've got different groups of people kind of sitting with who, who they've sided and all of a sudden he, he doesn't notice this in the text. This is phenomenal. All he, he says to them, because I think this is what they both would want to say. This is what everybody in the counseling room, when I do counseling, whether it's family or marriage, somebody's trying to get me to side with them. Like, if I tell you my story, why don't you go? No, I'll go first. I'm going to give a justification for why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, Paul doesn't do that to Yodi and Syntyche. What he says to them, agree in the Lord. He doesn't say, you're right or you're right. He says, what, is the, what does the Lord say? You know, the number one reality in conflict that gets bypassed in all of the circumstances is what does the Lord think, actually? Oh, somebody's freaking out and somebody's yelling and somebody's using unkind and sinful, ungodly speech and nobody, everybody is taken back by it, but no, then we're think, we should be thinking, what does God think about that? What, what kind of heart spills out that kind of poison that comes out in the life of relationships. Well, Yodi and Syntyche were having that challenge in the life of the church. And I think the whole book of Philippians, while there's many things of rejoicing, I think part of the occasion is found in Philippians 4, 1 and 2, because the occasion of these, uh, these epistles are written because something was going on. And there was no major doctrinal component. I don't think there was a conflict here doctrinally because every time Paul addresses a doctrinal conflict, he lists out theology. Don't believe this. Believe this. You know what this is likely, I think, was? It was a preferential disagreement between two sisters in Christ who just wanted their own way. Not that that ever happens in a church setting or in your home where people just want their own way because they want it. We, it's hard for us to identify what's going on there. But the reality is, it's, here you have a preference, and when you anchor to your preference that has no biblical priority, and you're willing to fight in a hill that you're going to die on, think about what you're doing. You are willing to die for, argue over, something that God says is not necessarily priority and push the thing that's priority to the side and make that secondary. And I think that's where often conflict ends up going, is that the thing that's supposed to be primary becomes secondary, and the thing that's secondary becomes primary. Have you ever done this in your marriage? Because your kids kind of watch this when you're at home at different times. All of a sudden, you're, you're arguing about something, and then you're kind of like, after a while, you're like, what are we... What started this? Do you remember, like, what, what generated this to begin with? And you realize it was something really stupid? Like, oh, yeah, I mean, so-and-so didn't put something away. Or it's like, so we went through all of this, and we're, we got to all of these points where we say certain things and do certain things and frustrated at one another when we didn't make the, the main thing the main thing. And I think Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, because he's reminding these two ladies in the church. Now, let me just pause for a minute. This doesn't mean, guys, that all of a sudden that ladies are the source of conflict in the church. 
uh, or that because they talk with each other on a deeper level and are sometimes more transparent that sometimes, see, this is the problem. They just need to not have their fellowships. Uh, No. The problem is, is when you anchor into what you love the most, if it's not God, it's going to end up in conflict. It's going to end up in a, pro, in a James chapter 4, verse 1, where do wars and conflicts come from? Do they not come from the desires that wage war in your members? See, conflict is bigger than just what's out here. It's big because it's of what's in here. That's why I say you, you want what you, you think what you think, and then you love what you love, and then you do what you do. That's how it tends to work, which means... When I believe this is going to get me what I want and I begin to love it and someone tries to take it from me, now I'm going to fight them. Because now I have to have that because it's priority uh, to my life. Now, in the church, I think in in the family life and in the community, the point of it is this. A gospel-centered community must help each other live at peace. Okay, I love Romans 12. Where it says, don't you, don't you love this passage? Live at peace with people as far as it depends on you. The problem is, is we, t- we at times get so fixated on sin and wanting what we want that we're not really interested in peace. We're interested in winning. Like, do you like to be right? Man, I do. I love it. You're like, you have a lot of conflict. Uh, but you don't. You, I mean, I don't typically hear people say like, Oh, you know, like, I just really don't care about that. No. You care about it, and when you care too much about it, if it's not what God says, you begin to fixate on it, you begin to love it, and pretty soon, even people become characterized by this. Oh, yeah, so-and-so loves to be right. And they're not characterized by humility and transparency in a way they're, well, they'll, they'll say, here's what I contributed to the problem. And you know what, I've, I've, I've generally, typically never seen too many home arguments or marital arguments where one is just totally justified and they've done nothing to contribute to the conflict. Because I remember my mom saying to us all the time, because five boys fought. And we would argue, and she would always say this proverb to us, and it stuck in my head. Boys, a soft answer turns away wrath. I remember thinking, like, well, that's not fun. Like, I'm not going to soft answer. That's not going to get me where I need to go. No. Pushing, that gets me where I need to go. Or arguing, that'll get me where I need to go. Philippians, just calibrate your mind for a minute. Just let me take you back. Philippians 1.27 says, do things in a gospel-worthy manner. Then in Philippians 2, he says, have this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he lays out this passage of the humility of Christ. He wasn't just doing that, by the way, to suffice our doctrinal understanding of the incarnation of Jesus. He was giving the illustration because these two ladies needed to understand something about unity and humility and transparency and oneness because it was disrupting everyone. And he gives one of the most doctrinally rich statements about Jesus for an illustration about how important it was for the body of Christ and for people to have unity. 
that this mind in you which is also in Christ Jesus. That's a unifying kind of mind. He came to bring peace, he said. He came to bring calmness. So we can have that. And I think what we have, now notice in Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. The first thing we have is we have a request. He says, I entreat you, and I, I entreat you, uh, Yodia, and I entreat you, Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. This idea, when he says, uh, I entreat you, this is kind of like a begging. He's like, I'm begging you to make the right, the, the main thing, the main thing. The idea here of the implication of I urge you is I'm just really begging you and I'm really repeating to say, agree in the Lord. Think the same thing about what God says. Okay? Let me just challenge you for a moment. When you're thinking about interpersonal conflict and conflict in your home, like we don't often stop to think, what do I want out of this? What, 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 needs, what do I think needs to happen in order for conflict to cease? Once it starts to go, after a while, you lose sight of the whole goal and you just get fixated on making your point, justifying your position, reloading ammunition, instead of saying, what am I after here? And what is the point? You know what you should be after? Because conflict, it's not like if it's going to happen. You realize that in your own life. It's when and what are you going to do. That's really the reality. And so if you ask the question, what does God want us to understand as a result of this moment in time where we're struggling to, to be united and to be at peace? Because now you're trying to keep the main thing the main thing. Notice that's exactly what he's saying to him. Agree in the Lord. You know, we want to think to ourselves like, well, duh, like that's pretty plain. Agree in the Lord. Do you know how many people forget that? And you, all you tend to hear is, well, yeah, but you said this, and can you believe they said that to me? And how dare you do this? And you know what? If you're going to act that way, then I have every reason to say what I said. Well, you don't have every reason to say what you said when all of a sudden it's just to hurt another person. This idea of being in the Lord is so critical. And now he identifies two of these ladies, and, and now, you know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't alarm us in some sense to, let me just wrap our, your mind around why perhaps it could be two ladies. Because you remember when Paul started the church in Acts, in, the, in, the, in Philippi? He came there, but there was no synagogue. And generally speaking, contextually and historically, in order to have a synagogue, you'd at least have at least 10 men. And so he went down by the river, and who was the first convert in the Philippian church? Lydia. You had prominent women who had come to faith in Christ, and Lydia was now giving of her home to be the context from which the church was now meeting, and there were other prominent women. And I think likely these two ladies... As, as many, they came to Christ and they came before their husbands. And so there was, in a sense, even more ladies than there were men. And so naturally, it would happen where two people got into a conflict. And that's why we likely probably see two ladies having that. is because the context of Philippians was, was the conflict of the church being started 
by, by Lydia coming to faith in Christ and other ladies meeting down by the river. And then the church was born out of that. So we think he's entreating them both equally. Okay? Uh, one thing I learned in, in caring for people and dealing with conflict is that it's really, really foolish to answer somebody or try to help correct a situation without hearing both sides. Paul heard from Epaphroditus, this is what's going on, this is what's going on. Paul realizes that this is not a doctrinal thing, it's likely a preferential thing, and he's saying, would you two agree in the Lord? I can tell you how many times that that's happened for me as a pastor in the church. Or it's like, some people just don't like to get along. I don't quite understand it, personally. But, but the reality is, is they just want what they want so bad, they're willing to cause a stink over anything in order to get their way. And I don't want to think that uh, I'm all alone as a pastor or that my church is somewhat unique uh, because I've seen this in, in multiple places and heard it from multiple pastors. Is that you see it in homes, you see it in churches, you see it in individuals, and all of them forget whether, or not the, whether the goal is to, to treat them equally. All right, tell me about what's going on. What is happening here? But here's the thing is, when you start to listen to both sides, there are going to be things that, that each party is going to have to begin to start taking ownership of. Even in a home, as, as I'm dealing with various marriage contexts, I'll ask the question to individuals. So what percentage of the problem do you think you are in this conflict? You know, it's so interesting. So I'll like turn to the husband and say, like, what percentage do you think you are? He'll be like, like, I think I'm like 40%. Maybe even not that high. Maybe 30. I'll turn to the wife, say, well, like, what percentage do you think you are? Well, I'm like 20. I'm like, we are missing some percentages here. Like, somebody's not accounting for something. And I'll say to them, you know what? Whether you think that you're 30% or 20%, I will say to you this. You're 100% responsible for the 20% that you right now understand is your responsibility. And you are 100% responsible for the 30 or 40% that you say you think is your part. Now let's focus on that 30% and that 20% and let's see if we can try to account for some of these, these percentages that seem to be out of whack and where they went and how do we find them. And guess what? We find them. Because all of a sudden you realize, oh, well, maybe I was a little harsh. Even in conflict, I have heard so many times in the case of the family and the home and the, and, the, and the family unit, like somebody will say something like this, oh, I mean, I was just kind of mean. I didn't say things very nice. And I know what that's code for. Like that's code for, I really don't want to tell you what I actually said. Because I don't really, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you. And I've been doing pastoral ministry and counseling long enough to realize that plenty of Christian homes are filled with all kinds of language that parents cuss out their children. Like, I, I've been around long enough to realize that all of a sudden you have a husband who's saying things in a really wicked way or a wife who's, who's saying things in a very wicked way and doing things with each other, like saying things to each other and they just anchor down in, on those positions and all of a sudden they're not even sleeping in the same bedroom. You've got a frustrated component. Children are, are disarray because mom and dad don't even get along and all of a sudden you watch a child respond 
to a conflicting situation. You're like, where did that come from? And then you get with their parents and you're like, they just did the same thing. You're like, oh, I know exactly where you got this from. They get up and leave and walk out and say, I'm done. Like, conflict happens and it's passed on and caught and influenced the next generation on how they deal with conflict in their own life. So when we don't focus on the main thing, all of a sudden what we're doing is we're, help, we're not allowing them to learn how to be at peace with one another as far as it depends upon them so that they can agree in the Lord. It's not about, like we said last night, who had it first in the argument, even for your children. Tell me what you were thinking. Tell me what you were thinking. Now, does that take a little bit of time? Do you really want to have to deal with that in that length of time? No. I'll tell you what I'd like to do. Give it back. Get over there. You go to your room, and I'm going to get back to my book. Like, in my, in my sinful mind, I don't even at times want to point the direction in the right trajectory. Because my own heart is selfish to say, just leave me alone is what I'm saying. I don't, and here's the thing is, here's what happens. Some people don't like conflict just because they have to get involved. Because now it interrupts their life of what they want. So now you got, now think about how this generates greater conflict. You got two people having conflict, and now you have another person who's supposed to help with the conflict, and now they just, now they're mad because they're not getting what they want. And now they're frustrated. And now a, a husband or a wife comes in and says, why are you talking to the kids like that? And he's like, how dare you talk to me like that? I'm trying to deal with them. And now we got four people that are in a conflict. And now, you know, you got innocent bystanders that are sitting on the couch like, man, I'm going to see how this goes. You got kids that are on the other side looking like, where's what note to sell, what not to say, what not to do. And then you have children that just learn to be peace-filled and quiet as they sit there like, that was stupid, man. I can't believe you said that to dad. I can't believe you'd say that to mom. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm just going to quietly do whatever I want and keep it to myself. It generates greater and greater conflict the moment we lose sight of what it means to agree in the Lord. Now, the request was agree and then come to a conclusion that would be pleasing in God's sight. The more you have that, the more it will help you come to that conclusion. Because those quarrels are coming from desires that are generated from your life. Now notice this. Now he says, let's move beyond the request to the rescue plan. And in conflict, that's what, that's what we're trying to do to alleviate conflict. It's a rescue mission to who wants to be at peace and agree with the Lord. Now, here's the funny thing is that you don't generally in conflict have, have people trying to rush to agree in the Lord. They have people rushing to try to agree with them. The more they try to do that, the more conflict gets created. But notice here, Philippians 4.3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me. Okay? Somebody in the church, in the home, in a relationship, at some particular point, has to, has to make a concerted effort when people won't agree. And they're just not going to agree 
Now, I don't know exactly who the true companion is because the text doesn't really say. We could probably say perhaps it was Epaphroditus, perhaps it was another individual in the church, but it was somebody in there who cared enough to say, they just can't seem to bring this together. And he says, true companion, would you help this conflict that's going on? And let me just, let me just say this to you. Part of the goal in the body of Christ, by the way, I would, just, I would just ask you to think personally. I know they in the Philippian church knew who this true companion was. I don't think they were mistaken. It just doesn't put a name to it. But I think we could ask ourselves this. Could you be called upon to do that? Could your mindset as a Christian, can you, can you be ready to be called upon to help people live at peace? Or are you one of those people who hears like a morsel of slander or gossip or situation and goes, oh, like I got some information. And you start thinking, you know what? You start adding to conflict. Could you be called upon to be that person? I mean, think about it even for you, you, you young kids who are here. What if you see a fight in a siblings, in your brothers and sisters? Could you go to them and say, hey, what's going on here? You've, we've got to be people who could be called upon as the true companion to be peacemakers. Like that's something, that's a goal in the home. And I think it should be something like, who's going to do that first? Because no one's willing to do that in conflict. Like who wants to be the peacemaker? Not really. No one likes to play that part. People like to be the, the fighters. Because that seems strong. But can I tell you this? Strength is really found in somebody who's willing to be peaceable. Strength is not someone who thinks, oh, I can hold my position and I can defend this and I can debate with people. You know what strength is? Humbling yourself to say there's something bigger here. Even though I know there might be some legitimacy to some things going on, real strength right now really calls us to say, we should probably pray together first here because we're losing sight of what's going on. And that's not really the first thing, honestly, that comes to my mind when I'm in the midst of a conflict. Is it yours? Like, why do you do that? Because you can't do this. How dare you? Let's pray. You just can't do it. You, just like you can't in the home go from, how dare you disobey and do all this to, do you know Jesus really loves you? There is a chasm between that that you cannot bridge when you are upset and you are about your own agenda. But you and I, we're called upon to be these kind of true companions. And I would say, in your home, who's that going to be? Like, everybody should be equipped to be that kind of true companion in, uh, in the home because now you've got people who are kind of keeping the main agenda, the main thing, to agree in the Lord. Be that person. Help one another. Well, what does that look like? Well, we often taught our children... Uh, and, and this was probably somewhat frustrating for them to begin with. But you know the principles of the Bible, like Galatians chapter 6, 1. You know, if a brother or sister be overtaken in a fall, you which are spiritual, restore such a one as this spirit of meekness, lest you too be tempted. So pray together. Like pray that you're not tempted too. Okay? Our children are going, can you believe so-and-so is doing this to me? You know, my first question as a parent was, have you talked with them? Well, why do I do that? I'm talking to you. You're, the, you're my dad. Go deal with this for me. Like, 
I'm trying to help my children learn what interpersonal conflict resolution looks like. So often that would happen in the church. You know, back in the children's ministry, so-and-so hit me. Well, we have to help them. Have you, let's, go, let's together go talk with them. Why did you do that? From the smallest of ages, I was teaching and rearing a level of conflict resolution. What does God want for you two in this situation? How does he want you to agree in the Lord? What, is, what was your response? Did you yell at them? Did you hit them? Did you do this? You know, it just starts to get to be bigger on bigger situations. Why would you say this kind of the words? Why would you check out and, and sleep in the other room? Why would you go and drive off and disappear for three hours and get in the car and no, and no one knows where you're at? Well, I was just mad. Well, everybody here was wondering, are you coming back? Kids are asking to, to moms and dads, man, do you think they're going to get a divorce? Because conflict occurs and it's not resolved, all kinds of things get connected with it. And so if we're rearing up from the youngest child uh, ages in our home how to deal with conflict resolution, what we're going to do is we're going to create a, a, a people who go out and think about others in a rescue mission to say, let's not think about it this way. Let's think about it the way God wants us to. Why would you, you know, what I said to you was wrong because because I wanted this. And when I didn't get it, here's what I did because I started to love this. And, and when I started to love this, then I erupted on you because you wouldn't give me what I want and you stood in my way. And now I needed someone to help in the rescue plan. And I would just really ask you as an individual to think, could you be called upon to be that person? Too many times people... Are, are so willing to just step out of it and say, no, 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 I'm not going to be that person. But God wants us to be. Now, this becomes really important because the reason for this is, is what motivated Paul to help them be at peace. Notice this. Help these women who have labored side by side with me. You know, like how quickly people forget, oh, <laughs> they are my brother or sister in Christ I just re- erupted on. This is my brother and sister in the Lord. Moms and dads, you often don't think about, you think about your children as children. But if you have believers in your home, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, you're willing to erupt on them, not care for them, not treat them in the right way, instead of agreeing with the Lord. Guess what? They're living side by side with you. Just like what happens in the church, the home is a place where people are living shoulder to shoulder and they should appreciate the fact that there's something together that we're doing that God sovereignly and providentially put this unit of people as a church, as a home, as a marriage, as a, as a, as a, as a family unit. He put them together and they've labored together side by side. And so quickly we forget that. And I think that's part of what Paul's trying to get them to focus on. Yodia, Syntyche, you guys, you guys serve together. You care for each other. You've tried to help this body. You've helped people in this community. It was personal for Paul. He said, you've served not just the body, but you've served. He said, you've labored side by side with me in the gospel. See, the gospel was the bigger point at stake in the whole, in the whole idea. He said, you've served with the gospel 
together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers. Now get this, whose names are, who are found in the book of life. I mean, you forget that in the middle of conflict. All of a sudden it's like, oh yeah. This is, this is a person who when, 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 when the Father in heaven turns the pages of the book of life, that person's name appears under the roll call. And all of a sudden, I, just was, I was just ripping them apart, telling them how bad they were, telling them how you know, wicked or evil they were because I didn't get what I want and I was willing to tear them down in order for this to happen. In the family, in the body of Christ, in the church, in relationships, you have to remember. This is one of the, the, the important elements or principles of it. Remember, these, you're Christians. Christians should handle conflict differently than the, than the world out there. It's not a business. It's, it's a people who love Jesus together. The more that you keep that in mind, you're not as quick to go tear another Christian brother and sister down because their name is found in the book of life. And you know, do you really, uh, you know, is there really a sense in which all of a sudden you, you know, you don't want this like, oh man, like, do you want to see people and know that you've responded in wicked, sinful ways and now every time that they see you or hear you, they look at you through the lens of what your heart erupted in sin over? See that when that happens in the home or the marriage, all of a sudden I've watched this happen where all of a sudden, uh, whether it's the husband or wife, they've responded in such conflicting ways and such anger and frustration and wicked communication and words that all of a sudden, the, it could be the wife at home and she's doing all these things. She's rearing children. She's, she might be teaching school, all these kind of things. And it's about 30 minutes before the husband's gonna come home from work. And they're, look, the family's looking at their watch and they're going, man, we better have everything ready because if so-and-so comes home and we're not all walking on eggshells because if they don't get what they want and this isn't in order and that isn't happening, do you realize that that person is coming home to a whole group of people that for 30 minutes have been scouring around the house to make sure that conflict doesn't happen when that person walks in the door? And you think that's a really delightful thought, for, for example, for a wife or for a child who's like, They're almost here. Like, I know what time they come home. That is not the kind of atmosphere of the home that that people agree and look forward to being together. It's an atmosphere that becomes toxic and poisonous where all of a sudden people really don't want to be together. And it can't be that way in the body of Christ. And so I think part of this is, is to say there's a reason. The reason for doing this is that the picture of the gospel and the unity and the redemption and the mending of relationships that the gospel brings so that we agree in the Lord and the gospel becomes bigger than any one of us and unity becomes a byproduct of us agreeing in the Lord together. Oh, how many churches get up in arms about the color of a carpet or the color of a wall or the taking of a wall out or something of some nature where someone anchors into something that virtually when we get to heaven and this earth is destroyed, no one will ever ask about again. Like we're going to get to heaven, no one's going to be like, do you remember that carpet? No. You're not going to be that way because it doesn't matter. Who cares about it? 
What matters is how we go about making the changes in agreement together so that in the end, we can get done and all go, God was pleased with that. Like we made a decision together as a couple, as a marriage, as a family that pleased the Lord and people weren't angry and people weren't sinning, but they were loving one another. God is pleased with that. I think part of this is what we find in Romans 12. Let your love be genuine. That's what verse 9 says. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do you like to do that in conflict? You're like, no, why don't you speak first? No, you speak last because I'm going to get out what I want to say. That's what conflict does. And that's what a sinful heart does. Instead of outdo each other with showing honor. You know, don't be, don't be this person who doesn't care about those things, but it, it, it's not repaying people evil for evil according to verse 17. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. All in your home, all in your church, all in your marriage. All the context of relationships. Now, this is something kind of interesting that I think that we find in the text. You go through this entire passage, an entire book of the Bible, where two ladies are highlighted for conflict, about conflict, and we always isolate these verses. But I think if you understand them within the conflict, the context of this, and the context of two people who are disagreeing in conflict that was coming out in interpersonal relationship with the church. Think about this. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. How many times have you probably used that and said, you know what, we're all just as Christians supposed to rejoice in the Lord? What's the context? Do you like it when conflict is going on? Is it really hard for you to be like, rejoice in the Lord always when conflict is happening? That's what the context says. The context here is the disagreement between Yodi and Syntyche, and, and the immediate application to that is, how do you do that in the midst of conflict? I'll tell you how. You rejoice that this is a brother or sister in Christ. Their name is found in the book of life. They're redeemed. They've been transformed, which means you have a basis by which you can now say, I think that they'll respond rightly. I can rejoice over that because if I can't even rejoice over God's work in this life of this person, all they are to me is an enemy that needs to be alleviated in the sense of conflict instead of saying rejoice in the Lord always and always means even in the midst of this context of conflict. Okay, Even follow it further. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why would he bring up reasonableness? I mean, think about that contextually. It's because there's conflict going on. You know, we become real. If you notice this about yourself, when conflict occurs and you want what you want and your heart is sinning and you want it, how reasonable do you become? Like, I can tell you what, I am not the picture of reasonableness at many occasions where all of a sudden when my heart is doing wicked things and wanting wicked things for my own, my own purposes, all of a sudden I become so unreasonable that I can only think what I want to think and it will not be right until everyone else agrees with me. Well, guess what? That can be a recipe for a lot more conflict. Well, he calls reasonableness. I think what he's saying is, Yodi and Syntyche, are you being reasonable? You know, you're, like, you're both rejoicing. You're in the Lamb's book of life. You're, but you're not being reasonable here. 
People don't want that. Notice even further all of these dimensions. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Everyone in the community, everyone in your household. I wonder if you just ask yourself for a moment, would you be classified by other people in your household as a peaceable, reasonable individual? Or are you just classified as somebody who just wants what they want and they just go after getting it? We're called to, to, for that to be known in the home. Oh, that's how you deal with conflict. Because guess what? Inevitably, my kids got a job, and guess what? They had a conflict with a coworker, but they knew what to do. Because they went and talked to him, they alleviated, they tried to figure out what the problem was, and then they, they solved the problem, and they did it with coworkers when they had interpersonal conflict, even at work. They can let their reasonableness be known to everyone, and notice this. Why would you do it? Because the Lord's at hand. Is there an urgency to figure out solving conflict? I mean, let's put it in all good perspective. Jesus is coming back and we're going to eternity. Is this the last thing that we want to be doing here on earth is conflicting with each other? That's not the last thing that I, that's not what I want to be found doing when Jesus comes back where I couldn't even, uh, I couldn't even, you know, get along with people in my home, with my wife or with my family or with a church. The, the Lord's at hand. There's an urgency to this resolution. Now, notice this. We always isolate this from a standpoint of saying, well, look, the Bible says don't be anxious. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Well, when are, think about how anxiety is ramped up through conflict. Well, what are they going to say if I say this? What are they going to think if I do this? All of a sudden, you start to be anxious about the conflict and how to resolve it. He's saying, don't be anxious about anything, and the immediate application of that is in the context of conflict. Okay? And he says, but in everything, notice, by prayer and supplication, make your requests be made known to God. About what? About conflict. God, we don't want to be disunified. God, we're both believers. God, we want a home that's peaceable. God, we want these things. We need your help. Oh, I love this passage. Even the, in the context of church uh, components in Matthew 18, where you have this most rich perspective where it talks about, well, if, if a brother or sister sins and they won't listen and you go to them and then you take two and then you take three, but then at the end of the passage in Matthew, do you remember these words? He says, where two or three are gathered together, I will be there in the midst. Do you know how many times I've heard people say this? Like, look, two or three are gathered together. That's there where the church is. So I gathered two or three together in a boat or went out to the woods, and we had church service out in the woods today. Is that church? No, what Jesus is promising is in the midst of conflict, if you call to him, if you ask him, he will be in the midst of helping come to resolution. That's not a church context. That's a misapplication of the right context of personal conflict. But Jesus promises that he'll be in the midst of it if we're, when we're doing it rightly. And I think that that's super helpful to us when we walk through this. Let our requests be made known to God. That means sometimes when you're in the midst of conflict and you're not at a point where you're ready to see eye to eye, one of the best things that you can do is you can say to your child, to your spouse, or somebody that you're in a conflict with is to say, you know what, um, I, there's some things that, that, that I really need to just take some time to inventory of my own heart before I give you a response. It would be better. I need the Lord's help, and I need to get a little bit of time to pray here for a minute 
that, that God would help me be peaceable as far as it depends on him. And, and to separate. I've had, uh, even in our home, when, when, we, when at times we would have arguments or, 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 or disagreements in the midst of our family, we say, you know what, we need to spend some time in prayer with that. But you know what we didn't do? We didn't just say, oh, we're going to go spend time in prayer and then, hey, time passed and then everything's okay. No one's fighting anymore. We separated everyone. No, we came back together and we actually dealt with the conflict when our hearts were right and we could see what was going on and what we were contributing and we had come back and come to a resolution that would agree with what God's word says and then we could be at peace with each other. But you don't leave it. Otherwise, if you do, it just becomes a training ground for some to say these cultural phrases. Well, time will heal all wounds. Guess what? It doesn't. <laughs> well, you can, time heals some things, but our agreement is, is actually to agree in the Lord. And when there's conflict, we really, really desire that God would be pleased with it. And yes, does time soften things? Does it remove you in a distance from the intense moment? But even if you just get further away from it but never repent and deal with your sin, it really hasn't healed it. And that's the challenge, I think, for all of us. So when you walk through it, that's where your challenge is. Deal with things that you know God says is not pleasing to him. That's the challenge. So uh, notice, notice even the other phrases, for example. Okay? He says, let your reasonableness and agree in the Lord. And he says, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will, will guard your hearts. Okay? There's your heart aspect. And your minds in Christ Jesus. Why do you need that? Because when you're in the midst of conflict, your minds go in all kinds of different places and your heart's doing all kinds of different things. And you can have the peace of God in your heart and then you get to this text, and I'm just going to briefly and quickly cover it because I often think we go to here uh, disconnected from the overall context. And he says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Like, why would he say whatever is true? Because in conflict, you begin to think, Whatever is true in your mind. Your focus is truth is relative to me in my circumstances, in my vantage point. In the midst of conflict, you, you just start saying, I don't believe this, I believe this. And when it's not with, with what the Lord says, you're violating passages all of a sudden, a principle that says, whatever's true. Well, what is true is, I love this person, but I'm not acting in a loving response to them right now. See, I have to start thinking true things. Their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. They're a brother or sister in Christ. Whatever is honorable. That means, well, is my speech honorable to the Lord? Do I practice Ephesians 4.29, that no corrupt thing come out of my mouth, but only a thing that is there to build up believers? That it may give, get this, that it may give grace to those who hear. I remember saying to my kids one time in the midst of a frustrating component when, when I was wishing they would do something that they weren't doing and I was trying to convey the message of what they should have done. And I said, somebody, uh, my wife said, like, that's just not, you just didn't do it graciously. Like, what do you mean that wasn't gracious? 
How could they not get grace out of that? And then I realized what was coming out of my mouth. I'm like, who gets to determine whether it's gracious, by the way, according to Ephesians 4? You or the hearer? It's the hearer. See, you have to be mindful of the people who are receiving your inform- the, the, what you're saying too. And I think this is important for us, whatever's just. Why is justice brought up? Because in conflict, all of a sudden, you're fighting for what is right. And that's what justice is. And so you end up be thinking, yes, is this a fuller application in many other ways? We could apply it to whatever's true and what's pure of mind and pure of heart. But the immediate application to this is to Yodi and Syntyche and to the church who is in the midst of conflict. Think true thoughts, agree with the Lord, be honorable, be just, be pure. Do you know your mind doesn't do pure things when you all of a sudden don't like somebody and you're in conflict? You start thinking, I don't like them. I, and even if that's your home and your children, you can start going, oh, you frustrate me. I'm having a hard time loving you. So we have to do things with a purity of mind, whatever's lovely, commendable, excellent. If there's anything like these, think on these things. Practice these things. And notice, again, he wraps it up, and the peace of God will be with you. Okay, don't forget. Conflict is about trying to deal with situations in a way to be peaceable and guarding your heart to make sure that what's coming out is in agreement with whatever God says he agrees with. The more we focus on that, the more we help each other do that, the more peaceable we become. And the more peaceable you come, you become, guess what you get in your heart? I'm not, at, I'm not fighting with people. I'm not at odds with people, but I'm also not at odds in my heart. I don't have a conversation and go away and say, I can't believe so-and-so. I'm at peace with God because I love the brothers, I love the sisters in Christ, and we try to do things that will build us up in Christ and we agree in the Lord. And the more we do that, we don't become a conflict maker, we become a conflict resolver. And that's what God wants us to be. Be that kind of true companion that can help people see in the midst of that. Uh, let me pray for us and then I'll, I'll uh, turn it to you, Jim. Father, Lord, we, we need help with this in our lives. Lord, our hearts are many times very wicked in wanting what we want and being even willing to sin in order to get it. Lord, I pray that we would be those true companions in a way that you would help us find what is true, what is just, what is right in the midst of these intense moments so that you would be pleased, so that we would agree in the Lord The more that we do that, Lord, the more that you are honored. Lord, so help us do that. In your name we pray. Amen.